Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashen. Thank you for tuning in today. And while you're settling in, be sure to visit our website, b'naibrith.org, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. The easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play on your smartphone. We're pleased today to welcome to the podcast Stephen Goss, the Chief Actuary at the Social Security Administration. Steve has been the Chief Actuary since 2001 and has been with the Social Security Administration for more than 30 years. He served on several presidential, advisory, and national committees examining pension policy, Social Security, and its reform, as well as numerous governmental task forces. We're going to get a little weedy on this podcast, diving into the Social Security Board of Trustees report, the Social Security Trust Funds, the future of Social Security benefits, and Steve is going to help us make sense of these very important issues. So, Steve, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Dan. Great to be talking with you. Now, every year, the Social Security Board of Trustees issues a projection of the program's finances. So the real question is, why is such a report important? And what type of information does it provide that tells us about the long-term viability of the program? Well, thanks, Dan. It's, well, first of all, the law requires the Board of Trustees to report every single year, and the Board of Trustees has reported every year starting 1941 without any break on the financial status of the Social Security Trust Funds. And we have two trust funds, the OESI, Oligis and Survivors Insurance, and a separate Disability Insurance Trust Fund. There are really three requirements in the law for this report. One is, what have the operations, financial operations look like over the past year? What are the financial operations expected to look like over the next five years? And then a third item, which is what is the actuarial status of the program? Now, for non-actuaries and even for actuaries, really in a nutshell, what that means is what are our expectations in terms of the finances, that is the taxes and other collections of revenues that come into the trust funds? Does it look as though those will be adequate to finance the scheduled benefits that we have in the law for people in the future that is now all the way out through the next 75 years so why is this report important it's important because when we put forth this expectation about whether or not the financing the revenues will be sufficient to pay for the benefits the congress pays attention and must take action should we be projecting that there will not be enough revenue coming in to pay the benefits for the long term and Congress has always taken action as we approach a point where we will not have enough money in the funds to be able to pay the benefits in full and on time. So they do pay very careful attention to these reports. We know that when the reports project there will be a shortfall in the future, Congress will act and they'll make changes. And it's important for the American people to be aware that changes will be coming so they also can be in touch with their members of Congress uh, to instruct them as to what kind of changes they would prefer to see. So what comprises, actually, the trust funds? Where, where, where do they come from? Ah, okay, the two trust funds, the OESI and DI trust fund, and Medicare has similar trust funds. All they really represent are funds that hold every dollar that comes in, principally by way of payroll tax revenue, coming in from all the well over 150 million workers in the United States, 
who in any given year are paying taxes into our trust funds, all of the, the all of the payroll taxes that come in from them either directly if they're self-employed or through their employers if they're wage and salary workers, they go in immediately and get it invested in the trust funds. The trust funds are really like the bank account for Social Security. And the law requires that every dollar on the day it comes into us is invested in interest-bearing securities backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, generally taken to be the gold standard, if not the platinum standard, for investing. So all of the monies that come in, every penny that has ever come in starting 1937, we were first collecting payroll taxes, has gone into the trust funds, has been invested in interest-bearing securities backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. And that's important because only monies in those trust funds can then be used to pay benefits out to people, whether they be retirees under our retirement program, survivors, or people who are disabled. So the money goes in, and what's also important is that the money in the trust funds are the only source of revenue that can be used for paying these benefits, and the revenues in those trust funds can be used only for paying benefits. They cannot be used for any other purpose. Now, the other aspect of why the trust funds are so critical is that the Social Security program does not have borrowing authority. This means that ever, if ever we were to reach the point where our trust fund reserves, right now, by the way, $2.85 trillion in reserves between these two programs, if ever we were to deplete or use up all these reserves and not have enough continuing tax revenue come in, to cover the currently scheduled benefits, we simply would not be able to pay the benefits in full and on time. So it's absolutely critical that Congress be aware of the status of the trust funds and that they maintain the trust funds in a positive level so that we can pay the benefits in full and on time. As, as the population grows, and we've got, whatever, 325 million Americans, um, as the population grows, does that does that help the bottom line in the trust funds, or, well, or simply a, are we are we simply just keeping pace? Well, Dan, that's a great question, and, and as with most things, it depends. When we talk about population growth, it depends on where this growth is coming from. Actually, the most important thing for the financing of Social Security and the level of taxes that would be necessary to pay for the full scheduled benefits is really the age distribution of the population. And it's best probably to think about it in these terms. Social Security is financed on basically what we usually refer to as a pay-as-you-go basis. That is the revenues coming in from the workers of today, the workers of this year, the taxes they're paying in are largely the source of the revenues that pay for all the benefits for people who are in receipt of benefits, whether they be retirees or disabled or survivors of workers who've passed away. So given that the money coming in in a given year is what we utilize almost exclusively for paying this year's benefits, it's important that we look at the number of working age and the number of workers compared to the number of beneficiaries. Now, when our, when our population changes over time so that we tend to have more older folks than we have working age folks, that puts a lot of pressure on the finances of the system and would require us to either lower the benefit levels for our retirees and disabled or to raise the tax rates. Now, you might ask, why are we now, as our trustees reports have for quite a number of years shown, 
facing over the next 20 years, a period in which the cost of our program as a percentage of our tax base is rising so much. And the reason is simply the changing age distribution. What's really happened is, and this is something that was easy to project for a long time now, at the end of the baby boom period, we hear, you know, the baby booms are blamed for lots of things. And we oftentimes think of the baby boom generation as being this bulge in the population that will pass through and then go away. Well, that's not really the case. The reason the baby boom generation is important is because after the end of the baby boom period, which ended around 1965, birth rates were a lot lower. And the lower birth rates since 1965 are what are really fundamentally changing the age distribution of our population. I mean, in a nutshell, the really the easy way to think about this is back in the day of the baby boom period, where on average women across a lifetime were having three, actually 3.3 children on average during their entire, life, entire lifetime. That was the experience of the 1946 through 1965 baby boom period. Since then, we've been operating at birth rates at right around two children per woman on average. Now, think about trying to finance retirement benefits for individuals. If in the past, had we maintained birth rates at the level that we had during the baby boom period, we would have three kids in the working age population contributing towards the benefits of each elderly couple, and that would require a certain level of taxes to pay for a certain level of benefits. In the future, we're gonna have a different world. We're gonna have two kids in the working age population for every couple that's elderly in the retirement age population. So it's that fundamental change really in the birth rate more than anything else that is changing our age distribution of our population and therefore putting pressure on a system which is financing retirement benefits and disability benefits today on the basis of taxes on the workers of today. Well, that leads in to the next question, really. In the 2017 Social Security Trustee Report, what were the projections about the future of the program? For example, how long will the trust funds be solvent? And once the trust funds' resources see a shortfall, what percentage do you think of the federal government's obligations will it be able to meet? I, I ask that as a, not only as a baby boomer, but also... Um, concerned about uh, the folks whose uh, generations followed uh, mine. Uh, thanks, Dan. And, and so our projections in the 2017 trustees report, by and large, look a lot like our projections of the last several years, largely because the demographics is the big issue. What we're projecting is this $2.85 trillion, which sounds like an awful lot, but remember, this is a very big program. This $2.85 trillion of reserves that we have in the system, which is almost three times the annual cost of the program, we are now in the process of using up those reserves gradually. And we're projecting by the time we get to 2034, on a combined basis, our two trust funds will have used up those reserves because right now the cost, the annual cost of our program is larger than the tax revenues we have coming out. The reserves are great. They've been filling the gap and we're able to pay full benefits. But by 2034, we'll reach the point where the reserves will be depleted. And at that point, if Congress has not acted and has not done anything, we're projecting we'll have about 77 cents of tax revenue coming in for every $1 of benefit obligations. And that 77 cents for every dollar of obligations as of 2034 when the reserves depleted 
changes a little bit over the balance of the 75-year period, down to about 73, 74 cents by the time we get out to the end of the period. So basically what we're looking at is Congress needs to act in order to modify our revenues coming in to raise that 75 cents up by about a third, up to a whole dollar, or to lower the benefit obligations down by a fourth from the $1 benefit obligations down to 75 cents, or some combination of those two changes. That's really what we're confronted with for the OESDI, the Social Security System, as a whole. Does that mean that um, someone who is um, in their early 60s today, living out a full life, uh, let's say to 90 years old, um, in 2034 would see or could possibly see a 25% reduction in benefits? That is entirely possible if, in fact, Congress were not to act. Now, Dan, I've got some really good news for you. Social Security, as you know, has been paying monthly benefits since 1940. It's got a long history. We have actually reached the point where we were very, very near reserve depletion uh, of one or the other of our trust funds several times in the past. Congress, understanding the gravity of this, that the American people, in fact, their constituents, many of them, would be in a position of having a sudden substantial drop in the monthly income that they're living on, Congress has every single time stepped up, uh, sometimes at the last minute, sometimes with lots of room to spare, and has made adaptations in either the level of scheduled benefits or in the revenues so that we have never reached the point of having benefits get suddenly reduced because of reserve depletion. So, yes, if Congress were to do nothing, which is beyond the pale, uh, and by all the past 80-plus years experience that we've had, has never, ever happened. Uh, we, we could have a sudden drop in benefits, but I think you and everybody on this podcast should, should understand that experience tells us that the Congress should not be expected ever to let that happen. And again, remember, it's because all our members of Congress are representing their constituents in their state or in their district, and they all want what's best for their people, and every member of Congress is representing lots of people who are either or you're receiving benefits or planning and expecting to receive benefits in the future. So an extremely high priority for every member of Congress to maintain Social Security in good financial shape. Well, you anticipated my next question, actually, because uh, uh, I have here, politicians always talk about how a sizable portion of young people believe there's a greater chance of seeing them seeing a UFO than receiving Social Security benefits uh, so the question I had here was based on the trustees report, is that a reasonable fear to have? Uh, but uh, your answer, which is that uh, the likelihood, based on everything since 1940, uh, that the likelihood that Congress would simply turn their backs on this uh, is, is not very high. This is clearly a, a bipartisan interest. This, this doesn't really relate to party, it relates to, to the people, and the likelihood of, of maybe a UFO will show up, perhaps, but uh, uh, you're saying basically that if Congress acts, uh, young people can be reasonably certain that uh, there'll be something there for them. Well, Dan, I, I, I would go even a little bit further than that and say not just if Congress acts, but given the virtually certain knowledge that Congress will act in some reasonable way, young people should, should rest assured. And let me just share with you a little story. This is probably from 20 years ago. I, I know the survey you were talking about of young people, they were actually asked 
whether they thought they were more likely to see social security benefits or space aliens in their future. And I remember shortly after that survey came out, I had the opportunity to talk to a bunch of people in their 20s who were payroll administrators for corporations, relatively well-off folks making a good income. And I repeated that question to them and all the hands went up expecting to see space aliens and never to see a dollar of social security benefits. And I said, hmm, let me see then. You all must be saving a huge portion of your salaries knowing you'll never get anything from Social Security, right? And there was just a lot of mumbling in the room. And finally, somebody stood up in the back and said, well, we didn't really mean nothing. I guess we, we, we know Social Security will be there, uh, but it will probably be modified. And that's really the right answer. And we think that it's kind of popular sometimes to be cynical about things. But, uh, but we're, we're hopeful that like that group of payroll administrators, young people really do understand that Social Security having been around for more than 80 years, as long as it's supported by the American people, it'll be there. Our Congress will make sure of that. Well, just in that regard, I have one more question, but uh, just to follow this a little bit. Uh, what, what do you think needs to be done uh, to make younger people more aware? And we've seen this in the healthcare care uh, debate uh, make them more aware that, you know, 30 years from now, 35, 40 years from now, uh, they're going to need this program and that um, they should pay more attention to it, take it seriously and find out more about it um, so that ultimately they can be in touch with their members of Congress uh, to talk about uh, the funding issues that we've just talked about. What do you think needs to be said? Gee, Dan, I guess, you know, we, you know, you all and we here at SSA and others really need to just, I guess, be a little more proactive in outreach. Because one of the really important things about this is if we're talking to a 20 or 30 year old, and if the only thing we say is that you should be concerned about Social Security, so in another 35 or 40 years, you'll have it there for your retirement, that's only part of the story. The other part of the story is Social Security right now, while we have over 60 million beneficiaries in total, 11 million of those beneficiaries are either disabled worker beneficiaries under our normal retirement age, now 66, or are dependents of those disabled worker beneficiaries. We have two or three million additional beneficiaries who are younger than our retirement age who are receiving survivor benefits. So I think really we have to be more proactive in, in telling the younger people Social Security is not just a retirement plan. It's already there. It has your back in case you were to become disabled or die and leave folks behind. Or if you're a very young person uh, and one of your parents were to die, you would be eligible for receiving child or student benefits uh, up to, I think it's age 18 now. So I think we really need to tell younger people Social Security is already there providing coverage for them even well before retirement age. And the other thing really I, I would think is the story that Yes, Social Security has had challenges all along. Our population and our economy are always changing and evolving. Uh, And that given so many people, 60 million, what is that? That's about one-sixth of our entire population is, in fact, in receipt of benefits. We should rest assured that Congress will not let this system fall into disrepair uh, where it will not be able to pay benefits. Adjustments will be made for sure, as with everything. But uh, we, we should all be proactive out there talking about the strength of the program and the desire to maintain it by the American people. You know, Steve, just uh, as a final question, and I'm sure you um, are 
uh, you follow what goes on in, in other, other countries. And B'nai B'rith, the uh, members of B'nai B'rith largely are here in the United States, but we have members all over the world. Um, are you finding that there's a kind of a, uh, a baseline of challenges that, that other uh, democracies, for example, in Europe, Latin America, are encountering uh, just as we are in terms of the demographics and, and payouts and so forth? While it is, Dan, as a, you are sort of suggesting, it is a small world. Uh, and the, the challenges that we are confronting with our changing age distribution, and again, that's largely not because we're living longer, which we are wonderfully to some extent. It's mainly because of the drop in the birth rates. With our birth rate of still about two children per woman on average in a lifetime, that's actually high compared to lots of other countries. Uh, many of the Asian countries, Japan, South Korea, have birth rates that are well below two children per woman, more like 1.2 to 1.3. Much of uh, the highly industrialized, well-developed European nations, especially Southern Europe, Italy, Spain, Portugal, even Germany, have relatively low birth rates and have had them for some time. So they've already been facing these exact challenges that we have. And what do we have to do? Well, we have to just understand that if we're going to continue to have retirement benefits to assist people when they live longer and live beyond the point where they can or would likely be working, that we're going to have to either encourage people to work longer, uh, which is certainly going on. We have some of that going on in our program and in many other countries, or we're going to have to reduce the level of monthly income provided by these programs or we're going to have to have for the workers that are, are in our populations, have them contribute a little bit higher percentage. I think in Germany, for example, the percentage of pay that goes towards paying for the equivalent of our social security system is close to double the percentage that we pay in our country. So there are lots of different ways of approaching this. Uh, and, and you're exactly right. The challenges that much of the rest of the developed world uh, is facing are similar to ours, and in many cases, uh, even more severe. Well, Steve, really, thank you so much. You've, uh, you've done a lot in a very short time uh, to help us uh, understand something that is so important to every American, and uh, hope that we'll have a chance to, uh, to have you back. Thanks for, for joining us. Uh, our guest today has been uh, Stephen Goss. Uh, he is the chief actuary at uh, the Social Security Administration. Um, Steve, again, thanks so much. Uh, that's uh, all the time we have for today. Please visit our website, benabrith.org, like our Facebook page, and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on your smartphone through the Apple Podcasts app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend about us. For Stephen Goss, I'm Dan Mariashin. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. Mm-hmm.